Hi there, I'm Mark Icero, and this is the Highlighter Podcast. Hello and welcome to the 20th episode of the Highlighter Podcast. I'm very happy that you're here. Did you think that we were going to get to 20 episodes? I mean, I'd like to think that I thought that we would, and here we are, and it seems like we're just growing stronger and stronger each week, including this week. I'm very happy to say that we have not just one, but two great guests on the show. They're both science teachers. The first is Jonathan Wright. He teaches science at Impact Academy in Hayward. And the second is Philip Vanier, and he teaches science outside of Salt Lake City in Utah. They're great friends and colleagues, but they do differ a little bit politically. And they're going to be talking about the lead article in last week's newsletter, which was, Can Racism Be Stopped in Third Grade? Let's get to that interview right now. I am very happy to have both of you here. Can we do some introductions for the audience? Uh, I'm Jonathan Wright. I teach physics at Impact Academy. And I'm Philip Vanier. Um, I'm a sixth grade science teacher and uh, seventh and eighth grade avid teacher at a school in Salt Lake City, Utah. That is wonderful. Well, welcome both of you. Thank you so much for being here. This is the first time on the podcast that we're doing a trio. And so I'd like to talk about why we're doing that. Why why are we doing that, Jonathan? Well, the first reason is that I was nervous to do the podcast by myself. <laughs> but then the second thing was uh, Philip and I both have very different uh, worldviews and often like get into it around politics and race and education. And we still like each other. And we think more people should do that. Does that did that sound right, Philip? Yeah, definitely. There's been many times where I think Jonathan should have punched me in the face, but he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, how would you characterize some of the differences? I think Philip may be the first self-identified libertarian to be on the highlighter. Um, and I'm definitely not that. Uh, so I think that's part of it. Yeah. And. I think part of it, too, is that I think my outlook with politics is confusing. I, I don't even know if I could label myself libertarian anymore. Um, I think, I don't know, it's just interesting. I, I, I feel like I don't like government. And I don't, I also, I feel, I guess I'm libertarian in the sense that I, I feel that we should take more personal responsibility for each other as well. Yeah, that sounds pretty libertarian. Yeah, it is. Except that libertarian, the libertarian movement these days is kind of not so great. Right. Well, Philip, I wanted to ask you a little bit, because on the podcast, I've been trying on this notion that if we continue to talk to each other, especially across difference, whether political or otherwise, that that will make progress. Do, would you believe in that or? I, I think I think it can. Um Right now, with my it's my frustration, and, and I'm assuming it's a lot of other people's frustration that we can't do that, and how polarized we are. And it's either you're, you're on the red team or the blue team, and if you're on the red team, I won't talk to you, and you're on the blue team, I'm not going to talk to you. It's like a multiplayer game of Halo, you know, <laughs> to be to be kind of frank and funny about it. Um, 
So I, I think it is possible, but I, I don't know how, how to fix the divide because there, there's been active progression from foreign powers such as like Russia to our media to what I consider the oligarchy of America to completely divide us so they can get a better grasp and control on us. And they're, they're making the gap larger, and I don't know how to stop that. Yeah, and I know that I've definitely been attracted lately to articles about our increasing tribalism in our country. And Jonathan, you've said that you're also interested. Um, where does your interest come from? Yeah, I think um, I have basically grown up in the Bay Area and moved here when I was 18. And so I've been in a liberal bubble for a long time. And I feel really liberal and I like feel strongly about the things that I uh, believe in. Um, so I think it's hard when you don't ever get exposure or conversation across difference. It's hard to know whether you believe the things you believe because of what you've been exposed to. Um, and there's some bias there or if it's really right, like the right thing to believe. So I think conversation across difference allows you to get more clear about what you actually believe. Yeah. Right. I mean, do you think that there's any part to your science? You're both science teachers as well. Do you think that there's anything there too, Jonathan, about like the why you believe what you believe? Mm. Yeah, I guess um, the things I think about in terms of being a science teacher are that uh, students can believe or claim or hypothesize or predict whatever they want if they have good evidence to back it up. Um, and that's something that is not necessarily showing up in the media all the time. Uh, so really stressing that with kids is such a huge part of science teaching, but also how we should think and talk about politics. Yeah. And Philip, I know that you used to teach here in the Bay Area, and then now you're also teaching slightly younger kids in a different state, and we would maybe say it more of a red state. Um, yeah, can you talk a little? Yeah, can you talk a little bit about your approach to being a science teacher now? Has it changed at all? Um, so I've taught now at two different schools here in Utah. The first one I taught at was a charter school that was a little bit more progressive, partially on accident. Um, it's just because we were under-enrolled. We got a lot of the kids who were more liberally-minded thinking and a lot of kids who are coming out, who are transitioning, uh, a lot of kids of many different races. We were Title I. And because of that, it was a lot easier to teach like I was teaching in California to like open their eyes and start critically thinking about the world around them. Whereas now I teach more in the suburbs, in, in an urban suburb of Salt Lake, uh, where the majority of the population is very conservative and also Mormon. And um, the the group thinking Utah is actually kind of scary. And, and it's as a teacher, I'm very limited in my power in questioning the norms. Um, I can be fired for saying things that in California would be a normal talking piece in conversation. So it's a little bit more walking on eggshells when teaching science. Um, like for instance, uh, we just had, uh, my wife was just in the Deseret News. It's a, it's a newspaper that's owned by the LDS church and she, she was being interviewed about the new science standards here in Utah. And what's fascinating is the, the Utah state legislature hates the federal government so much that they didn't want to adopt the, the next generation science standards. 
And so what they ended up doing is taking four extra years, more or less plagiarizing the next generation science standards by creating their own, just to say that they were their own. But in it, a school in this article, a school board member of my district was quoted as saying that we're teaching evolution as fact and not theory. And what's bothersome about that is that a theory in science is pretty much fact. It's as close to fact as you can get. And there's a lot of misinformation around the scientific process because of what I call uh, the conservative war on science. And it's really hard to address that, too, because I don't know which parents are going to raise a fuss about what I talk about. Yeah, that that does not seem very easy. It seems like you definitely have to get around the eggshells and and just sort of watch. Is it watching your back a little bit or do you feel because you also you also have to teach from the heart as well. Yeah, and and that's what I think has been the greatest struggle. So, for instance, at Impact and Hayward, kids would ask me questions about pregnancy or the reproductive system or any of that, and I could talk freely and I could educate kids, give, uh, educate kids with sex education about protection, protecting themselves, making sure they don't fall into that cycle. Um, and here, for instance, if a kid asks me anything about sex education, I have to refer them to their parents and I have to preach abstinence. Um, that if I do anything else, it's an automatic review by the Utah State Board of Education and my license could be revoked. Wow. And so, so it's really hard for me to, teaching from the heart for me is supporting my students and helping them and making sure they get guided towards the right choices and they'll still make bad choices but here it's also, it's really hard to do that because of how restricted you are. I mean, I can't even talk to a kid about possibly getting, or parents about possibly getting them counseling um, for fear of offending students, but also ethically I can't. And so I see a lot of kids struggling and my, my job as a student supporter and advocate is much harder because of that. Um, so it's a little bit more difficult to do that. The other thing is, too, is teaching science. I, I really want to teach critical thinking and thinking outside the box. I want to get kids angry. I want kids to to use that anger, that passion, and channel it towards this intrinsic motivation to learn. But I I have never dealt with kids who are so compliant to the system around them. And as a result, they have no intrinsic motivation. It's all extrinsic. It's all token economy uh, to get them motivated. And the other thing that's really bothersome is they hold a lot of their feelings in, and it's it's awful passive-aggressive behavior. I've never seen behavior in hallways at a school like I have here in Utah where young men are just jumping off lockers and tackling each other and beating the crap out of each other for fun. And it's their way to get out the aggression towards the oppression that they feel in their culture. That does not sound good at all you know one step at a time and at least with the class that i'm teaching with with for avid it's a lot more like an advisory with envision schools and it's uh it's for kids in the middle and they need intervention and it's been a lot easier to get those kids to start opening up but what i've realized is a lot of kids in that class are not lds um and so they're more willing to talk about it but they're also the angriest kids in the school which is which is pretty fascinating to me this feels like it connects to the article that we're going to talk about because we're starting to talk about how kids think and talk to each other. Yeah, no, it definitely does. Jonathan, you want to jump on in? Um, they have chosen this week, audience. By the way, if you have not li- uh, if you have not read this article, you definitely want to. The article is "Can Racism Be Stopped?" 
in the third grade. It was interesting because there was another lead article that was going to make it this week, but then all of a sudden this one spoke to me more. But um, I'm happy that you both chose it. Let's get right in there. Jonathan, you want to start us off? Sure. One of the things that's really interesting to me is that the, the, just the backlash around uh, doing this class where students got into affinity groups, it seems like the backlash was coming. It did mention that it came from a diversity of parents, but it sounded like also mostly white parents. So then it made me think about how the, the tribalism that results in racism is learned somewhere. And I think a lot of times kids are learning this from their parents. So to make a program like this work, you need to also have parents participate in a program like this while, they're, while their children are. So that's something I was thinking about. Yeah, I, I definitely know what you mean, because I think that the protest in the article from the white liberal parents is just this hope that perhaps everybody can just be all in the same class and let's just talk about race in this sort of whole class uh, mentality. When, when if anybody has done a racial affinity groups, we all know that that's not how, how things work. Um, and I'm wondering like what the actual argument was, um, you know, sort of behind the scenes. Like, mm -hmm. was it, oh, this is too early for kids to really talk about race? Or is it like that it's going to exacerbate racism by having a racial affinity groups? Hmm. Like, what did you think about that? Like, why do you think that they were protesting? Being a person who has been in that situation before, for instance, at Impact, when we did courageous conversations about race, um, it's a defensive mechanism. And well, I don't know what the argument would be, I think it, part of it was to defend their kids from, I feel like, white guilt, personally. Yeah, I think, uh, I think the backlash is, well, I think it's two things. I think one is these parents, it sounds like, are trying to still instill in their kids what they were taught in their generation. What they were exposed to was the idea of colorblindness. And so affinity groups are a threat to that, right? And then it seems to me also like, yeah, a, a defense mechanism against white guilt. And then just like this, this resistance to being able to acknowledge that being white is also a race. Yeah, definitely. What, what I thought was also fascinating was that there's one parent who was talking about, like, I was a Jewish kid that drew, grew up in the South. And then the one of the black mothers is going, well, when you walk in the room, you still look white to me. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was fascinating. What I loved about it was the fact that the school is just focusing on the race. Mm -hmm. Because I, I don't know if you felt like this about, um, about like this, Jonathan, when we had our courageous conversations around race. I thought that it sometimes got derailed because people tried to bring up sexuality and gender as well, where we were just trying to break down racial barriers. Mm -hmm. For instance, mm -hmm. I had a really hard time because I, I distinctly remember a lot of the white women at Impact segregated themselves into their own group away from the white men, mm -hmm. which I... Which well, I, the the facilitators had them do that, though. What's up? The facilitators had them do that. I know, which kind of like upset me in the fact because it took away from the actual racial divide because also if you looked at a lot of the women in that group a lot of them were third and fourth generation college kids who came yeah. from a privileged background and it doesn't matter who they are but when they walk in a room they're still white well you know? it reminds me too of 
it reminds me too of the the mixed family they were talking about yeah and how those kids really hesitated to to take on a racial identity it reminds me of that because uh, they had the, the privilege to think about what other things made them unique or important or different. And that's often what happens when you put white people in an affinity group. They want to say, wait, but I'm also Jewish. Wait, but I'm also gay. Wait, but I'm also female. But that doesn't change the fact that you exist in a world as a white person. Yeah. And you just you just sparked a crazy thought. And the struggle I've been dealing with in Utah is I feel like there's no there there's no unification or unified white culture that we we adhere to and as white people because we aren't singled out because we are the we are the privileged we try to find the other things that separate us out from the bunch mm -hmm. and it's just fascinating like i'm jewish or i'm catholic here i notice i talk way more about being raised catholic than anywhere else because I want to make sure that I'm separated out from the majority as well. And I think that confuses people too when they have these conversations as well. Because, I mean, you even catch me doing it sometimes. It's like, I'm a first-generation college kid. My parents broke the cycle of poverty. But the one thing my parents had is they grew up in Canada, and they're both white. Mm -hmm. right? So, yeah. I, that makes sense. What, yeah. What yeah. do you think about there being... Um, what did you think about there being an opt-out or not sure group? Um, I think that's fine because, like, I mean, what would you do with the mixed-race family? I'm, I'm not sure if I really like the opt-out thing, but I guess they had to do it for legal reasons or they didn't want to lose parents or kids because it sounds like they're a pretty high in private school. I, I think the not sure category is really important because what if you don't know your full history, you know? I right. Don't know. Right. It just was weird to me that they changed it from a not sure group to a general discussion group. Yeah. As if that was just giving people permission, like a white person that just didn't feel like being in the white group could opt out. And that seems like a slippery slope to me. I also feel like it's it's giving a backdoor for people to avoid the conversation. Philip, okay. I'm noticing that that the purpose of our trio was for us to to talk across disagreement and we're agreeing on everything in the article. <laughs> I know it's pretty fun. Well, Jonathan, this what sums it all up, man. You and I agree a lot on so many different social issues. I think that you and I just have different perspectives on how to get it done, right? Well, let's get to that question as far as is this the way to get it done? I mean, the whole question in the article is do we take third graders who probably do this racial affinity group better than adults would, or at least white adults would? Um, I have not heard this approach in too many places. This is a private school, and I would say a fairly diverse private school. Uh, I also follow tons of articles on resegregation and desegregation. But for example, like not just would we think that this is a good idea, but do we think that this might be a great idea to approach race and or anti-racism at this point? Let's start with Jonathan on that. I think it's great. And I really buy into, like, based on what I've read about the development of kids and, like, when their racial identity comes into focus for them, like, it makes a lot of sense to do it in elementary school before that middle school urge to separate and to try to fix in. Um, but I still come back to that same question I brought up in the beginning, which is, like, if the 
parents are resistant to it, they're going to learn some of that resistance from their parents. So I feel like for it to be really effective, you've got to somehow bring in the families. Yeah, that's that's a great point, Jonathan. I I think this is a great way to do it. I, I think getting getting the kids when they're younger is a really great way to do it. I don't know if this is the be all end all solution. I mean, unfortunately, there's the biological component of it. Um, I know Jonathan, you and I have talked about that before. Mm-hmm. And it's just the fear of what looks different. I mean, they've done studies, scientists have done studies where white kid, white babies are afraid of black babies because they look different. And like, how do you counter that biological instinct? Can we coach the brain to get over that? Right. And I think and start- starting early is so important. Right, exactly. And I really want to see these kids in 20 years from now and see how they are. I, I don't know. I For me... I've started to really, 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 this whole past election and the whole dealing with white supremacists and how white supremacist culture is now ingrained in our political decisions, well, more so than, well, it's more, it always has been, but it's more apparent now. I don't know. I have a pretty bleak outlook on it. And I just, I have a lot of hope for this school because it's a really cool model and I hope it works. And I really hope that they can get to those parents and get those parents over the upset and uncomfortable, like being uncomfortable in the tradition of it and all that. Right. It seems like they need to just not give up, keep going and let, let the program evolve. Yeah, exactly. And I really hope it keeps on going because this could be groundbreaking, but I also share the fear too, that it might have some negative effects too. I mean, segregating kids at such a young age too, and making them know that they're different. Some kids might grow up, taking that as I don't know how to describe it as like I am different and I'm never going to relate to you either so I really hope that they're careful with the way they facilitate the conversations mm-hmm. as well well know? the thing is the thing that gets me cynical sometimes too is that in so many classrooms across the country you're not going to have this kind of difference so this kind of affinity group uh, approach wouldn't even necessarily be possible and that sort of bothers me because the only way that this really works is that there's actually racial diversity in the classroom. What I do like about this approach is that it's not, even though it's definitely for white kids in many ways, it's not disproportionately, I don't think. Like affinity group structures are not as much as like, I know of approaches where like a, a kid of color and a white kid sort of tell stories to each other and that's all very nice and good but ultimately it's mostly for the white kid Mm -hmm. i like this approach more especially when done well just because it seems like it the the power is more shared you Uh, agree yeah definitely can i can i add to that too mark um one thing i've also noticed is how asian uh, pacific islander people feel in this in this black and white dichotomy in the country as well and I really, I really like the fact that a lot of the Asian kids have the opportunity to talk about how they feel because I feel like the Asian Pacific Islander culture in this country kind of gets brushed over, partially because of, of like this innate fear of the white man, of the black man, and seeing an angry black man on the street, um, which is systematically racist anyway. But I, I feel like we forget that Asian, especially Asians, have been completely marginalized in this country's history. I mean, they were slaves to build the railroads. They mined for gold. I mean, we were smuggling them in 
like like black slaves as well, but just on the West Coast. And that's a past that's a part of our history that we want to forget. We we had internment camps for crying out loud. We were imprisoning people because of the country that they were from. And I really like that this this school is also helping focus on that group as well. That's a great point. And uh, it might be time. Do you think it's time, Jonathan, for the I big final time for the big final question? Yeah, it's time for the big final question. Which <laughs> what is it, Mark? I don't know. I think that, I mean, you both chose this article. So not why did, why did you choose it, but what is it going to, how is it going to stay with you? What's the one thing that you'll remember and then maybe do something about? And if you have any ideas about what you would do about it, please, please let the listeners know. But generally, yeah, what, what resonated the most that will stay with you? Let's go with Jonathan first. Uh, two things. One, in terms of what I'm going to do, I think, uh, at least at our schools, we have a tendency to feel that we need to get um, teachers on board with this, this discussion around race and equity before we really talk to our kids. But I think it doesn't need to be that way. I think we can start kids doing affinity groups at any age at any time. Uh, so that's something I'll think about as a high school teacher. And then the second thing is just to think more about, I'm just still really interested in this question of what white kids learn from their parents um, and how that can perpetuate white supremacy and white privilege and what you, what you do about that. Uh, for me, it kind of goes back to what you just said, Mark, on how this school is really diverse and it's a private school and all that. I, I don't know, in my, my school is not diverse at all. And the state I live in is not diverse at all. And I'm not sure how I can bring something something like this up, because I think with us, with me, it starts with faculty and families. Um, but there's a lot of avoidance of political talk and especially talk around race and religion. And um, I think I'm just going to have to sneakily find ways to plant seeds and hopefully somebody will catch and start talking about it at like a lunch or something. The other thing, too, that that I really that really stuck out to me is more and more this is you're, you're right it's being done at a private school and our country is pretty segregated to begin with and a lot of the race conflict that we have in this country is rated is rooted in poverty i mean trump wins because the poor white Amer like poor white america was angry that poor black america was getting more aid Right. We have people dying. We have people dying in the streets of heroin overdoses and everything. And so it's a lot easier to blame the black president who's now catering to his people, quote unquote, and not white people. And my question is, is like, how how do we bring these conversations up in the schools that really need it, where this hatred is rooted? Mm -hmm. And I, I'm not sure how to do that either. Yeah, definitely a great, great point to end on. And I'd like to thank both of you, Philip and Jonathan, for this very rich discussion. And thank you so much, both of you, for being here.
I'd like to thank Jonathan and Philip yet again for being on the show, and I'd like to thank you for listening. If you have any comments about the show, please email me at mark at highlighter.cc. That's it for this week, except I want to say one more thing, which is I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving week. And this Thursday, when the newsletter arrives at 9, 10 a.m. in your inbox, make sure to open it as you do always. And this time you can go ahead and share it with your friends and family as well. Have a great week.